Our God is an awesome God. Shout to the Lord all the earth and let us sing. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. Waymaker, miracle worker, Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. Can we just give these guys a round of applause for leading us this morning? What an incredible, incredible time of worship. Andrew's right. Sometimes you just, uh, I don't know about you, sometimes I don't want to hear me preach. I just want us to keep singing because the worship is just so moving and so good. I'm so thankful for the men and women who lead us in worship. Uh, so thankful for you guys. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And, and maybe what I should say is welcome to what God is doing at Riverside. I, I don't know if you know this. Some of you know this. Some of you may, may not be fully aware of just all the ways God is moving right now, right here in this, in this church and in this place. I wish I had time to just sit up here and tell you story after story after story. If you want to know stories, come find me. Let me tell you some stories of what God is doing right now in the life of this church. What I can tell you is that every week, people's hearts and lives are being touched and changed. And uh, man, I just got to tell you, it is awesome. It's awesome to, to, to be uh, one of the people that gets to be on the receiving end of some of these stories and to hear people come to me and just tell me, hey, let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Let me tell you how God is moving in my life. Uh, it's just an incredible, incredible time and season in the life of this church. Uh, every single week we've got people coming and, and, and placing membership. Every month that's happening, Andrew just told you, he's, you know, their family's brand new to this church. And here he is just a few weeks, a few months later up here leading us in communion and doing a wonderful job. People that haven't darkened the door of a church in, in who knows how long, have never really been a part of a church, or, or maybe better said, never really experienced what it's like to be a part of a faith family like Riverside. They're finding that here in this place, because of you, because this is you, this isn't me, right? This is, this is you, this is the church. They're feeling welcomed and accepted in love. And that's happening. And there are so many stories. The conversations that a lot of us are having on staff and our elders and some of you, they're just amazing right now. And it's, I'll tell you, it's so much fun to have these kinds of conversations. Hey, God's moving in my life. What do I do? What do I read? How do I pray? Have I missed the window to get baptized? Somebody asked me that question. Like these are the kinds of conversations that we're having right now in coffee shops and in, over lunch here in Coppell and the surrounding areas. And it's just amazing to see how God is moving. And if you don't know, I want you to know. I want you to be encouraged. Let me encourage you. God is moving. The spirit of the living God is living and moving in this church right now. And I know sometimes it's hard to see, especially in the summer Everybody's traveling right now. People are gone week in and week out. Sometimes you look around, you just wonder what's happening. Let me tell you, let me encourage you. God is moving right now, and it's just an awesome time to be part of this faith family here at Riverside. Welcome, not just to this church, but just welcome to a place and a space where God is moving right now in a really, really special and I think significant way. We're in the middle uh, right now this summer in a series we're calling Jesus Music. And uh, the whole idea behind the series is just let's lean into some of these songs. Some of them are old, some of them are new, but these are songs that have meant so much to a lot of you and so much to so many people through the decades and through the centuries, people who follow Jesus. And there's a lot to learn, a lot to lean in and listen and to hear and to, to remember. These songs, they're, they're worship songs. But, but you know, they're more than that. They're more than just songs of praise. A lot of them, like the song we just sang, are songs of prayer. 
songs that, that point us to Jesus, that signal our need, that remind us that there is someone we can call on when we need help. And, and just thinking about that idea, I had this question kind of come up, and I, I wanted to ask you, I wonder how you would answer this question. Who do you call when you need help? Who do you call when you need help? Another uh, 1980s reference, I guess this is the, the 80s decade this morning. Thanks for coming to Riverside. 1984, this song hit number one on the Billboard chart. See if you know it. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? You, you know the song, right? Uh, if there's something weird and it don't look good, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. If you're seeing things, this is, it gets a little strange, right? If you're seeing things running through your head, you should probably call someone else. But who are you going to call? And then this is where it just gets off the map. Uh, an invisible man is sleeping in your bed. Oh, who are you going to call? I'm probably not going to call Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I'm calling somebody else if that happens to me. I, I don't know about you. When I was growing up, um, if I had a problem, if I was in need, uh, I, I didn't call anybody. And it wasn't because I was that independent or that self-reliant, although I'm sure I was, or at least I was trying to be. The reason I didn't call anybody is because I didn't have a cell phone. I mean, you, didn't, you know, we didn't, have, we didn't have a way to call people, you know. I, I remember being a teenager and I'm driving uh, down the interstate. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, and, and I wanted to see, like every teenage boy does, right, Ty? How far can I get on, the, uh, on a tank of gas? And I found out. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the motor started to sputter and it ran out, and I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? So I put that thing in neutral and I just let it coast as far as it would go, you know, and I got down to the exit ramp, thankfully, pulled off to the side and I couldn't call anybody. I'm sure, you know, my son turned 16 here in a few weeks. I'm sure if this happens to him, which it probably will at some point because it happens to everybody, he's going to call me and I'll, I'll go and I'll help him or I'll send somebody to go help him. And I didn't have anybody to call. So I just got out of the truck, locked it up, started walking, right? A couple miles, found a gas station, went inside told the attendant what had happened, can I borrow some kind of container I can put gas in, went out to the gas pump. And back in those days, people, you could buy a gallon of gas for less than a dollar. Let me tell you, hey, what a time to be alive. And uh, put that in that, you know, milk carton or whatever you gave me to pump it into, walk back to the truck, try to get the gas in the gas tank without spilling it all over myself, go back to the gas station, fill her up, return the container and get on my way. We live in a world though, times have changed. But we live in a world where that, that pull, that desire for self-reliance, for independence, uh, this, this DIY, do-it-yourself world we live in, that, that's still where we lean, isn't it? Uh, if we need help for something, chances are we're not going to turn to somebody else, right? Who do we turn to? We turn to Google. We turn to Alexa. We turn to YouTube. We turn to social media. That's where we turn to if we have a question that we need an answer to. We're probably not going to call anybody else. And, and, and why is that? Why, why do we have a, such a hard time calling on each other when we need help? And chances are, if you're anything like me or most people I know, is the reality is, is you're afraid that if you call someone, well, you're not really sure if they can help you, first of all. And if they can help you, will they help you? Will they understand what you're going through? Will, will they understand what you're dealing with, your situation, your circumstance? And, 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 and will, they, will, they, will they understand that you're kind of putting yourself out there to begin with to ask for their help? And what you're afraid of is that if you ask for their help, they may say no. And that rejection, that's a powerful thing, right? Just the idea of rejection is a powerful thing. And for a lot of us, that by itself will stop us from reaching out and asking someone for help, but it's not just that, is it? 
We're afraid not just that, that we, we may risk it and we may get rejected. We're also afraid if we ask you for help, if I ask somebody for help, that not only will I risk rejection, but I might just risk judgment. Because I'm afraid that if I tell you what I'm going through and what I need and how I really could use your help, that, that you won't feel compassion for me. That instead what you'll feel is judgment. Chances are somewhere along the way you asked someone to help you and they didn't. They let you down. They disappointed you in some way. And since that day you decided it's just easier if I don't put myself out there again. Who do you call? Who are you going to call when you really need someone to stand in the gap and help you? Who are you going to trust with your situation, with your circumstance? The good news is there is someone you can call on who understands your situation and circumstance in a way unlike anything you could ever imagine and, and who loves you more than you could possibly know. And this is really good news, and I want to tell you about him today. If you have your Bible, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, would love for you to open up to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is a letter near the end of the New Testament. And to be honest, we don't know who wrote this letter to the Hebrews. Whoever he or she was, they were writing to these first century, these early Christians who were going through an insanely difficult time in their life. And the problem that the writer of Hebrews is trying to address is that so many people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, who had put their trust and their faith in him, who, who made the declaration, many of you have, I have decided to follow Jesus. They made that declaration. They began to follow Jesus. They called him. They claimed him their Lord and Savior. But now life has gotten hard. The situation surrounding them is, is difficult, and they're falling away from the faith. And you may wonder, why in the world would they do that? Why, why would they turn away from the faith they had put in Jesus? And the answer to that question really is, because they didn't know. They didn't know there was someone they could call on when they were going through the most difficult time in their life who they could ask for help. And they didn't understand that there was someone they could call on who not only had the power to help, but he was willing to help. And so the writer of Hebrews, the overarching point in this entire letter is, is to, to get this idea across. Hey, I know. I know what you're going through right now. It's hard. I know your circumstances are insanely difficult. But I want you to know you don't have to walk away from this faith because this faith gives us a hope and an assurance and a confidence unlike anything you've ever known before. There's someone you can call on to help. And not only is he willing to help, he has the power to help. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this idea of, of a high priest, the writer of Hebrews is, is using this, this image from Israel's past to help them understand who Jesus is in the present. The, the audience, the recipients of this letter, they were Hebrews, they were Jewish, they were Israelites, right? And they knew their story. They knew how God had delivered their people from 430 years of Egyptian slavery and bondage and darkness. They knew how, they had, how God had led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. And they knew that on that journey, a 40-year journey from, from Egypt to the promised land, that they had been given instructions to build uh, what's called a tabernacle, which is really a long word that means tent. 
And the cloud that was the presence of God that led them by day and a fire by night that led them by night, whenever it stopped, they stopped. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. But when it stopped, they had the instructions to set up this tent that they had been given instructions to build this tabernacle. And this tabernacle was the place where the presence of God would settle and dwell. It was the presence of God among the people of God. And this tabernacle, it had three main areas, right? The outer area, this was the place where the people gathered to worship, to offer sacrifices, to offer their praises to God. And then there was, 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 was the space called the holy place. And this is where the priests were allowed to go in and perform their, their daily tasks and jobs. But then there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place, this was, this was where the Ark of the Covenant resided. Again, this was a symbol, a representation of the presence of God with the people of God. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where the presence of God was. And it resided in the most holy place. And one day a year, the most high priest would enter in to the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of the people. So one day a year he would go in. And, and, and remember this, the, the high priest was, was chosen from among the people. So the high priest understood the people, their weaknesses, their problems, their pain, their hurts, their sin. He understood all of that. And he would go into the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of the people. That word atonement, we talked about that a few weeks ago, but you may remember that word. Break it down, it, it really helps you remember what it's all about. To make atonement is to make at one with, Right? What does sin do? Sin separates us from each other. Sin separates us from God. What does God want to do? He wants to make us at one with himself and, to be honest, at one with each other. This unity that's called the church. This is that unity that, that God wants for us and for us with him. The high priest would go in to make atonement for the sins of the people one day a year. He's chosen from among the people, so he understands them. But he's chosen by God. And because of God's great compassion, he's able to make atonement for the sin of the people. And this was all happening long before Jesus ever set foot on planet earth. And so the writer of Hebrews uses this imagery. Since we have a great high priest, we, we who follow Jesus, we believers in Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord and Savior of the world, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. He's crossed the veil. He's gone into the most holy place. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. Because of all that, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Our high priest, get this, and this is, this is, this is not just important, this is powerful. This is transformational. Our high priest is a man from Nazareth named Jesus, okay? Fully human, born of the Virgin Mary. He lived on planet Earth for some 33 years. He was the son of man, right? So he's fully human, but he's also the son of God. He's fully divine. He lived on the planet for some 33 years, and he was crucified on a cross, buried for three days in a borrowed tomb. Then on the third day, he rose again. For the next 40 days, Jesus walks the planet, right? He's seen by more than 500 people. And then on that last day, he gathers with some of his closest friends and followers, his disciples, and they watch, they witness him ascend, him a return to heaven. And in that moment, what Jesus does, this is the last part of the gospel story, right? You know the gospel story. If I ask you, what's the gospel story? You'll probably say, well, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, that's right. But there's one more piece. Don't miss this part of the gospel story, right? Yes, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But then Jesus ascended to heaven and he crossed over into the most holy place where the presence of God dwells. And right now, 
today, right here, right now, it is 1150. Right now, there is a man from Nazareth who is seated by the right-hand side of the Father in heaven pleading for you. And he understands everything you've ever gone through because he walked this planet. He lived this life. He's gone on this journey, and he knows what it's like to be human. The Hebrew writer says, this high priest of ours in verse 15, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. You see, the Hebrew writer wanted these early Christians to know that, that yes, you're going through a difficult time, and it's insanely hard right now, but you don't have to let go of your faith. You don't have to give up on God in the middle of your circumstance. You can hold firmly to what you believe because Jesus ascended to heaven. Because Jesus walked planet Earth, he experienced everything that you and I experienced. He knows what it's like to be human. He did all of it without sin. Because of that, you can hold firmly to what you believe. And I don't know about you. But if you're anything like me, and I'll just be confessional right here, right? I think this is all of us. But, you know, whenever I see somebody who's going through something similar to what I went through, but I feel like I did it better, you know what I'm filled with pretty quickly? Judgment. <laughs> you, ever, you ever get that way? You see somebody that, that's going through something similar to what you went through, and you look at them, and instead of being filled with compassion, your first move is judgment, right? You know, I had to do what they did. And, and I know I did it better, and I didn't do what they're doing right now. You see what they're doing right now? I didn't do that. You know, I, I had to go through something just like that, but I didn't give up. I didn't quit. I didn't tap out. I didn't do that. I had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to school my entire life, and I never complained, Not even though I think that's complaining right there. I think that, I think that might be. <laughs> this is what we do, right? Often our first move, whenever we see someone who's going through something, something like what we went through, we're so quick to move to judgment. Why is that? What if our first move was to compassion? What if, what if instead of moving to judgment, we moved to compassion? Jesus, Jesus walked this planet. He faced everything that you and I face. And when he looks at you, when he looks at me, when he looks at us, you know what he's filled with? Love, mercy, grace, compassion. He sees, he understands. He cares. And so the writer of Hebrews says in verse 16, because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And I don't know what you think about when you think about God, but your God is a gracious God. We serve a great God with a great name and a kind heart, and he is full of grace. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy. Not judgment. Maybe you expected condemnation. Maybe you expected him to say, you got to do it better. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So in 1859, there was a young woman by the name of Annie Sherwood. She married a man by the name of Charlie Hawks. And in 1872, they were the parents of, of three kids. Annie, uh, Annie and her family belonged to the Hanson Place Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York. And I want you to hear 
something that Annie once wrote. These are her words. She said, one day, as a young wife and mother of 37 years of age, I was busy with my regular household task during a bright June morning. Suddenly, I became so filled with a sense of the nearness of the master that wondering how one could live without him, either in joy or pain, these words were ushered into my mind. The thought at once taking full possession of me, I need thee every hour. You may recognize these words. She wrote these words. If you've never heard these words, I want you to lean in and listen. These are powerful words. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art not. I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come. Annie realized something that day that some of us have come to know and some of us, if we're honest, we're still learning, right? We weren't created to be independent, to be self-reliant. We live in a DIY world, but we were never designed to do it ourselves. The truth is we need each other more than we know. The truth is we need Jesus more than we know. And the good news is that Jesus understands everything we're going through. Jesus knows what it's like to have a bad day. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by one of his closest friends. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by those who he considered his closest friends. Jesus understands all that. Jesus knows what it's like to be let down. He knows what it's like to feel like he's all alone. Jesus knows what it, what it feels like to feel like the, the whole world is against you. Jesus knows. He understands that. Jesus understands pain. He understands loss. He understands grief. Jesus knows what it feels like to lose someone close to you, to lose a friend. Jesus has been tempted and tried, he's been beaten and bruised, he's been spit at, he's been mocked, he's been slapped, he's been crucified, tortured, and even killed. And Jesus did all of that. And this is truly amazing to me. He did all of that and he never sinned, not even once. I don't know about you, I have much less worse days than that and I sin all the time. Can I be honest? I've got problems, I've got struggle, I've got pain, I've got all this, and I'm, I'm, if we're being honest, I bet you do too, right? Jesus did all of that. He never sinned, 
not even once. And you would think having lived the life that he lived, having endured all that he endured, having gone through everything he went through and doing it perfectly, never sinning once, you would think that looking down on you and me in our situation, giving the comfortable lives we live in and the things that we go through, that when we do slip up, when we do mess up, when we do make those bad decisions and we do things that we're ashamed of and embarrassed of and don't want anyone else to know about, you would think when, when he looks on us, what he would have for us, is judgment. And, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't fault him for it, would you? You would think when, when he looks down on us, what he would have for us is condemnation. But you know what he has for us? When he looks on us, having endured this life and gone through everything we've gone through, when he looks at you and me, what he feels for you, what he feels for me is love. He is filled with compassion. And there in the presence of Jesus, that's where we find the mercy and the grace that, if we're honest, we need. We all need more love than we deserve. And there in the presence of Jesus, that's where we find the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion when we need it most. Who do you call when you need help? I want to suggest today that you call the same person that Annie called when she was in her home in Brooklyn, New York that day. Call in the name of Jesus. He understands your weakness. He understands your pain. He understands your situation more than you could possibly know. How do you call in the name of Jesus? Well, it's an ancient spiritual practice that we called prayer. And if you if you don't know how to pray, come find me. Come find Jason. Come find Zach. Come find one of our shepherds. Come find someone else in this church who maybe has a little experience with praying. We would love to help you know how to pray. One of my favorite questions, I tell you, stories are happening all around us. One of my favorite stories is someone came to me and said, can you help me know how to pray? Oh, man, can I? I would love to do that. I'm not the expert, but let me just tell you, I would love to help you learn how to pray. There are lots of ways to pray. But one of the simplest ways to pray is to just do what Annie Hawks did that day. Just talk. Just talk to God. Tell him what you need. You can come boldly before the throne of your gracious God. And you can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And when you come to him with all of those anxieties and fears, all those cares and concerns, what you're going to experience in his presence is mercy and grace. Jesus knows Jesus understands, and Jesus cares. Church, if you would, let's stand. So if there's something strange and it don't look good, who do you call? The world tells us you don't need to call anybody. You can figure it out on your own. You can do it by yourself. And if you did call somebody, they probably wouldn't help you, but... But here's the good news. There is someone you can call who not only has the power to help you, but is ready and willing and wants to help you in your time of need. And I want to encourage you today, if you're going through something hard or difficult, if your circumstances are just not what you need them to be right now, call in the name of Jesus. And here's the promise. When you do, what you'll experience in his presence is grace and mercy in love and compassion. You might expect it would be different. You might expect you would get scolded. You might expect that he would look down on you. You might expect that he would be disappointed in you, but he's not. 
This is the good news. This is the gospel, and it's too good to be true. I get that, but it's true. When you come into the presence of God with all of your pain, with all of your heartache, with all of your problem, with all of your flaws, with all of your faults, what you experience in the presence of your Father in heaven is grace and mercy and love. And your high priest, who is Jesus, a man from Nazareth, is right there by the side of our Father, and he's pleading for you. Today, if, if you need someone to pray with you, We've got some shepherds in the room. I'm going to be available in the back as well. Jason's in the back as well. If you need someone to pray with you, come find one of us. We would love nothing more than to usher you into the presence of our gracious God because we know in his presence you will find the grace and mercy you need. Thanks.